right. Amen and amen. It's great to sing God is so good, and I know you had joined in with us because that's our testimony. We're all singing at that point because we all have something to say about how Jesus saved us with a wonderful cross. My wife has the announcements. Good morning. First of all, if you um, gave in 2019, then you should have received your giving statement in the mail. So if for some reason you have not yet received your 2019 giving report, please talk to us. You can email bookkeeping at foundationslft.com or just come mention it. We'll be sure to get that statement to you. More exciting. We have a parenting conference coming up, so please make sure you mark your calendars, get a flyer, invite a friend. We know that it's great, a great opportunity to invite people to church who might not normally come when there's a parenting conference. As parents, especially of young kids, we can all use help, encouragement, refreshers. And so Pastor Terry just authored a book called Packing for Life, and he and his wife Tracy have raised three children and have tons of wisdom to share with us. So if you will mark your calendars for February 28th, it's just less than two hours on that Friday night. We'll have about three hours on Saturday morning, and then he'll finish off the service on Sunday. So this will be a great weekend for you to come as parents and invite other people. Yes. If you don't know, Pastor Terry is one of our three overseers. I've known Terry since I was 16. He was a youth pastor, and he took me in. Let me make every mistake in the world and gave me middle school kids and trained me and worked with me and all that. So a man of great patience also. (laughs) So that will be a great weekend. It's going to be a really good weekend. All right. Well, I hope your new year is going well. We, We seek the Lord because it's our greatest joy and honor. We're going to finish our series on seek today. And of course, we cannot do this series without Matthew chapter 6. You, when I say seek, the first thing that comes in your mind should be Matthew six thirty three. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So, of course, we have to look at that text. Now, I'll tell you as a pastor, it's intimidating to do common text. Why? Everyone's heard those before. Yeah, I can quote that. I know that. I knew that in Sunday school. Let me get some obscure text that no one knows about. I'm like, oh, I never knew that. Well, of course. No one ever heard of that person in the Bible. So these are a little bit harder. But I promise you we're going to learn something new from the Word of God, and we're going to look afresh and anew at His Word. It never gets old. It's alive. It's living. It's active. It will feed us if we have one scripture and we've read it for 20 years. It will sustain us through and into eternity for it's the word become flesh. Amen. Matthew chapter six. We'll start in 25. This is, of course, the Sermon on the Mound. Jesus has put himself up on a mountain, his disciples being closest to him, but the multitudes and the crowds being everywhere. He's using the natural amphitheater of the mountains there in the Galilean area. He has just finished saying you cannot serve both God and manna because you're looking at the Roman Empire. People think of it as a a military powerhouse and a political powerhouse, and it was. But not only that, money drives things. It was a, a multi, in our culture, billion-dollar industry. It was a money powerhouse. They had taken over. They had industry. We even say quotes like, all roads lead to Rome, because the world had never seen Rome build such things. You don't do that for free. You do that with money. So this is the backdrop of it, and now we're going to pick up. In verse 25, you have heard that it was said, 
Oh, I'm in the wrong. Oops, one more. I know what I'm doing. Just stay with me. Verse 25 of Matthew 6, not 5. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow sow nor reap, neither gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Note he says, Heavenly Father. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you being by worrying can add one cubit to his stature. Or your Bible may say length of days. Stature can be for height and also for how long you're going to live. So you can't live longer by worrying about it. Usually, actually, that makes you live less. (laughs) So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? This is not a rebuke. It's an encouragement. We'll talk about that more. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek for your heavenly father. There it is again talking about the Heavenly Father, knows that you need all these things. The famous verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And we all know that. Maybe you woke up this morning and there was trouble you didn't know you were going to have. Let's look at this. Let's learn something from the Word of God. I learned something from the Word of God. Let's start right here in verse 26. Jesus starts out and says, the first example, look at the birds of the air. Now, Jesus says this multiple times throughout all the Gospels. He says, hey, look at this. Hey, look at that. And for some reason, I've read this many times, but guess what I have never done? I've never looked at the birds. Have you looked at the birds? Y'all did. Y'all are way ahead of me. This week, I thought, I better listen to Jesus. He told me, look at the birds. So I started looking at the birds. We know birds in Louisiana, don't we? We got, we got birds everywhere. How many species of birds do we have in Louisiana? Do you all know? Species, not volume, the species. Over 470. Not all of them are indigenous, but we have uh, many that are, about 100 have just come in, and they really like it here, so they stay. Birds do well in Acadiana and Louisiana, if you haven't noticed. So by volume, how many birds do you think inhabit this mid-sized state here in the south? Because we're supposed to be looking at the birds. Jesus wasn't exaggerating. He said to look at them. How many do you think we have? In the spring, it reaches 200 million with about 100 million migratory, and in the fall, about 100 million. Most of them are born. Birds don't live very long. That's just this state. Moreover, how about species in just North America? Over 2,000. And how many birds in North America? At the lowest, they're estimating, that's the best they can do, at the lowest, 10 billion. At the highest, 20 billion. 
That's how many birds we have in North America. We're supposed to look at the birds. We need to keep looking. How many birds are estimated to live on this planet? Way more than when Jesus said it. There's more. Because he commanded everything to multiply and grow and to after its own kind. And it has obeyed his voice as his creation does. I'm not going to disobey his voice. Amen. All right. We're going to be obedient children. There are estimated between 100 billion and 200 billion birds worldwide. Look at the birds. If I don't take care of 200 billion birds, then you can doubt me. If there's only seven and a half billion of us on this planet, I said 200 billion birds. And if I can be unfaithful there, then you can start worrying because six times in this keyword analysis, that's what we look at, it says, do not worry six times. Jesus repeats it over and over because you're Heavenly Father, because you're Heavenly Father. This is a worry culture we live in, but not us. Jesus said, When you look at the planet, don't freak out. Don't think that it's going to blow up and die because that's what we hear all the time. We're going to kill it. Your grandkids are going to live in a hole in the ground in the the cave because there's not going to be any food left and everything else. He said, you look at the birds. And if they're not around, then my word fails. We need to remember the word of God we exalt above all things and and we live on the words of Christ, not on anything else. Everything we bring in submission to the word of God. Are we fill our hearts and our children's hearts with fear? I don't live on fear. He hasn't given me a spirit of fear. In fact, he said, or I'll paraphrase it, number one on your notes. Look to creation for encouragement. Not dread, fear. <laughs> Have you ever watched TV and hey, just watch the weather? They're going to die and this is going to stink. Da, da, da. Those poor weather people, you talk about die young. I wonder what is the lifespan of a weatherman. It's probably, this, I should not be talking about it. It may be low. If you are a weatherman in here, please forgive me. <laughs> Look to creation for encouragement. For Jesus said, Look at the birds, and if they fail, I'll fail you. 200 billion are functioning just fine on this planet because not a sparrow falls to the ground without him knowing it. Why are you worrying? If you have a heavenly father, you shouldn't be. So that's my question. And that's the question he was standing on the hill asking, is he your heavenly father? He's proclaiming salvation. He's looking at them and saying, are you a child of Abraham? I am through faith in Jesus. Are you a child of Abraham? Huh? Are you a child of Abraham? Wait, give me a yes or no. Are you a child of Abraham? Yes. Then do not worry. You, walk, you go home today, and I promise you, you're going to see a dozen or more birds flying around. And you look at those and you say, I'm encouraged. He told me to look at creation for encouragement, not dread. I trust the living God. Let me show you a little plume here. See this picture here. We had to, to get a live action shot. We had to kind of crop it. So show me that picture right there. See that moving across the Florida Keys, about the size of the peninsula of Florida? That is not a weather pattern. That's a flock of birds. Oh, yeah. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's over 100 miles wide. So I'm going to tell you, don't 
worry about tomorrow. Our clothes, our food, are all these things the Gentiles are consumed with because God is your God, not manna. And you look at that and say, he's faithful. Amen? All right. Let's keep going here. So we're supposed to look at the birds. He says a lot of things. Look at the fig tree. Look at this. Look at that. He does that through the whole Gospels. And I never thought about reading the Bible like that. I know that sounds maybe silly to you guys, but he said, look at the birds. And I thought, I've been reading that scripture for 30 years. I have never once looked at the birds. Now I have, and I'm encouraged. Now I have, and he says, you look at creation, and you'll understand me better. Is that not true? Does he say to do that? Now I understand his goodness and his faithfulness. No matter what storms, no matter what issues, no matter what the experts say, I know my God rules and reigns in the affairs of men and in his creation. Has he forsaken his creation? Can he forget the work of his hands? Not only this entire planet, but us, his own children. Amen. That's when you were supposed to like amen me right there. Real quick. <laughs> Let's keep looking here. Verse 28. So he talks about the birds, and then he's going to go to another analogy. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet Solomon, the one who made rocks, excuse me, silver as common as rocks in his day, the one who had an oil industry, just olive oil, that in today's market, I researched this a long time ago, was a multi-million dollar industry, his olive oil import-exports. Just his beauty could not even be compared with what the Creator has made. Now, why is he doing all these bird analogies, these uh, lily analogies of the field? Where are we in the Sermon on the Mount? We are in Galilee. He is up on a hillside, and I thought, I need to start looking at the birds more. And why is he talking about all these flowers? I mean, come on. He's a guy. Come on. Flowers everywhere. There's a reason. I want to show you Israel in the spring. And this is the closest I could get where we think this sermon was done. So let me show you a few of these pictures. There's a reason he was talking about flowers. Because all those people and the disciples who would write this and Matthew who's glued to him is looking around. He's saying, let me tell you about the lilies of this field. He takes care of his people. Let's look at a few other ones. I didn't realize Israel was so beautiful. Give me a bucket of chicken and a big blanket. Come on, babe. That's a good afternoon. Who wants to babysit the kids? It's just me and her. (laughs) That was not in here. I don't know where that came from. Look at that. Look at it. Isn't that beautiful? This is the surrounding of the words coming out of our Savior. How do you think that's impacting the people? It is impacting them greatly. That's not even the main point here. You got one more? Is that it? One more. That's as close to Galilee. That's Galilee in the spring. That would have been where he would have been right there. Okay, so that's not even the the main point here. The five words following at the end of verse 28, they neither toil nor spin. Is that what it says? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil 
or spin. There are no unnecessary details in the Bible. That is a very specific, gender-specific statement. And I will speak it the way Jesus would have done it in the text, and I don't believe I'm stepping too far out on a limb theologically to be incorrect. They neither toil. That is a specific, masculine, Abraham picture. What is the curse? Excuse me, Abraham. Adam, Adam, you're going to toil. By the sweat of your brow, by your sore, achy back, you're going to be the toiler. It's masculine. So when Jesus stepped forward and he said, they neither toil, I think he paused. I think he paused and looked at the men and said, men, I know you worry. Are you going to better bring home the, the bacon? Can you support this family? Do you have what it takes? Can you be successful in this Roman controlled culture? Can you be successful And can God supply for you in all your toils and difficulties and lacks? He looks at him and says, I want to tell you, the curse of Adam is great, but I'm greater. And when you come to me, you won't have to toil. You'll find rest for your souls. And I'll do for you what I did for Abraham because you're in the same line. You with me, men? I'm a man just like you. And I got more kids than most of you. And I get up and say, okay, Lord, you got to supply what we need. I don't need to be a millionaire. I don't want to be. What I want is that my family knows that someone in ministry didn't live as a pauper. And you for the same for your family, right? That, that you could look at your kids and say, I'm going to tell you, Daddy worked hard, but God is the one who supplied. They did not toil. And he pauses and he stares at those men. Yes, you, man. Yes, you. Yes, you who has to find a new job when he's 50. Yes, you who has to try to figure out how to make this budget work. Yes, you who has to try to figure out how you're going to better make 40 hours and do this and do that. We all been there, right, men? We know that pressure and that fear, especially in Acadiana, in this volatile market. And then he pauses. And what's the next two words? Nor spin. That is an overtly feminine statement. Men nowhere in that culture spun. That was a woman-only thing. So he looks at those ladies, and when those words come out of his mouth and he pauses, he says, Mama, I know you worry that how are you going to make this stretch to put clothes on those kids? How are you going to get through this difficulty? The God of the universe is the one who's going to take care of you, and you don't worry. You don't worry, single mom, who has to figure it out. You don't worry, widower, who has to make it happen. The God of the universe takes care of you. Amen? Men, you don't toil. You don't live for manna. You don't live in stress. God's going to do it. You work hard. You commit your way to the Lord, and he'll make you prosper. Ladies, you don't have to take on the difficulty and the curse of Adam too. God's going to take care of you. He's going to figure out how to make your home run, how to make this work, how to make that work. Amen? Amen. That's the depth of this scripture. That's the the bread we get to eat from today. Look at that. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Number two on your notes. God has comfort for all his people. I'm so glad I am not exempt. You are not exempt. Think about these people sitting there. They got family issues, marital issues, financial issues. Men, 
they would have had to take a day or two off to listen to this sermon. God is really hitting their heart like, you you can't serve manna. You can't serve money, right? They had to take a day or two off to listen to Jesus. One of the main reasons men may not be, now we got a great group of men here, godly men who are serving the Lord. One of the main reasons you may not find them on a Sunday morning or deeply committed to the church is because they're chasing manna. Not these men. These men are sitting at the feet of Jesus. And if we're going to be men of God, that's what we must do. Amen? Amen. Oh, I preach myself hot. You're going to have to turn the air on back there. Get the AC going. I want to show you two great comforts in the Bible. No, really, turn those ACs on. Or just get the air flowing. One of the ushers, please and thank you. Two great comforts the Word of God gives us. And you live on these very practically. Two great comforts we need to recognize every day are holding us up on this side and up on this side. Two great comforts that lift us every morning supernaturally and will carry us and lead us and guide us. And we need to be thinking about these, talking to these, and in these every single day. Uh, The first one, Acts 9.31. So if God comforts all his people, the men, the women, everyone in between, young, old, rich, poor, all of them, as they sit there and listen to the Sermon on the Mound, He wants us to know as his church, after the risen Christ, no no one lacks in the kingdom of God. Acts 9.31. Then the churches throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, these are all kind of churches, rich, poor, big, small, uh, mixed Jews, Gentiles, mixed and everything in between, and Samaria had peace and were edified, walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of what? The Holy Spirit, who lifts you up every morning, who wants to lead you and guide you and speak to you, who dwells on the inside of you by faith through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? He wants to be the one who lifts you up on this side and says, I've got all comfort for you. Comfort of the Holy Spirit were multiplied. Amen? That's the, one, the first one that lifts us up and comforts us and gives us everything we need. The second, Romans 5, excuse me, Romans 15, 4. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning. We're learning right now. That we through patience and comfort of what? There's the other one, lifting us up. See, I like if I got a hurt leg or something, uh, somebody to help me on one side. But if I got two lifting me up, picking me up, carrying me supernaturally, come on, I'm doing all right. Even, even if I was lame, I got supernatural working for me. What does it say there? I didn't finish it. Verse 4. That we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Every day and every morning, we don't lack comfort. The comfort of the Spirit of the living God who dwells on the inside of us, if we are Christ's. If you do not know Christ, you can know Him today. 
And he lifts us up supernaturally. And he's that the, the one who never leaves us or forsakes us and guides us. And secondly, the word of God that, that is in us. And that's why we study and read the Bible daily if possible. It, it, it's the one that gives us everything we need. The comfort of the Holy Spirit and the scripture. You know what I love about this text in Matthew? Jesus speaks their language. Don't, don't you like someone who speaks your language? Like, you can just sit down like, we get it. We can talk. We get each other, right? Don't you hate when you're talking to someone like, I have no idea what they're saying. Oh, my goodness. What this, are we, is this English? It, we're just on two different wavelengths. That's how you know it's a friend. That's how you know when you just get with someone and you, the conversation is pleasant. It's enjoyable. This is what Jesus is doing for these people on the mountainside. And it's what he does for us. He speaks our language. So no matter what season you're in, it doesn't matter if you're 80 or 8, he will speak to you, your language, men that toil. He won't speak to you like a lady. He's going to give you man stuff. I like that. Manly, he's going to speak to you like a loving heavenly father. Ladies, he's going to speak to you, your language, and comfort you, whatever you need. There is no lack in God. I love that he speaks our language. All right. Well, let's keep going here. Verse 30. We're back in Matthew 6. Oh, we look to creation for encouragement. God has comfort for all of his people. And it only gets better. It only gets better. Verse 30. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field as they're all looking around sitting in it, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven. People, as Jesus would have said, this is a good day. We're sitting in the field. You're hearing the Sermon on the Mound. It's a beautiful, sunshiny day. Oh, it's so nice. But tomorrow may not be like that. Is that what he says? Today the grass is here, beautiful, the birds are chirping, but tomorrow it may not be so nice. Is that right? He says, I don't want you to look at either one of those as the pinnacle. Not the mountaintops or the valleys. He said, I got something better for you than these flowers of Jerusalem. And this is a beautiful, wonderful place. We still call it the Holy Land 2,000 years later. But all of this is not near as important. And tomorrow is thrown into the oven. Will he not much more? There's no more. We're sitting on the beautiful countryside. Jesus himself is talking to us. The birds are overhead. The flowers are blooming. It's wonderful. What's better than this? Oh, I've got so much better. So, so much better. It's the better that flows from Calvary. It's the better that washes us white as snow. It's the better that brings us into eternal relationship with our Heavenly Father. He's speaking of salvation. He's looking at them and saying, yes, you are of the seed of Abraham, but come to me and be of the children of Abraham, of faith. This is of salvation he's speaking with. And all the vain things you have to deal with, you don't have to deal with them anymore. Oh, he's speaking of salvation to these people. There's something so wonderful, it's better than anything you've ever physically seen. 
You don't have to strive for all of these things anymore. Oh, the striving of this world. Number three on your notes. Our salvation ends the vain striving. Have you ever done some vain striving? Oh, I have. I mean like, oh my goodness, how long did I actually spend doing that and why? You ever done vain striving? I'm so glad I'm not young anymore. The young have so much energy because they spend about 90% of it in vanity and about 10% doing right, right? So listen, it's okay if you don't have the energy you had 20 years ago. That's fine. You're smarter. So you're much more efficient than you used to be. That's the key. We don't have to be faster. We don't have to be stronger. We don't have to go in the gym all the time. We just have to be smarter with what we do. And this salvation, he says, it ends all this vain, vain striving. Let me show you a couple of scriptures here. Galatians 3 specifically talks about this. This whole book is about a group of Christians who went back into vain striving. You don't have to do that anymore. It's over. You're complete in Christ. You're free in him. Galatians, in fact, he's like, Galatians, what happened to you? You got back into works of the law and all this vain striving. That's what the whole book is about. Let me just show you a couple of scriptures in Galatians 3. 3.26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And one more. 1 Peter 4. Let's look at this one. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh have, what does it say for those who have? They have ceased from sin. They don't have to strive anymore. They've ceased from sin. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime doing the will of the Gentiles. Oh, how many of you have been there? I have been there. When we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, robberies, uh, drunken parties, and abominable idolatries. But no more do we have to do that. When I was thinking about this, I was thinking, okay, what is the most vain thing I have ever done? Hmm, I've done a lot of them. But it brought me back to my childhood. I was a teenager, and I was thinking about this. So back in the, those times called the 90s, um, skating was popular. Uh, maybe it was a holdover from the 80s, but you couldn't do a lot as a homeschooler, especially when mom says, you're not going to anything that's not Christian, except for Tuesday night at Leo's Skateland. There was Christian night. Tuesday night, all the Christians, all the homeschoolers would all go to Leo Skateland and would go roller skating because it was like the center of the universe, apparently. But when you're 13, that's what you think. So I was good at roller skating. I know y'all are holding back the laughs, but I was good at roller skating. Yes, I'm lanky, but I'm lanky smooth. It's a smooth lanky. Smooth. You know what Gumby Man? It's like Gumby Man on roller skates. Like he's wiggling everywhere, but he's smooth. So I was good at roller skating. Well, I was good at roller skating, but there's also a cute girl there I was trying to impress because homeschoolers. I don't know. We don't see a lot of girls. 
So this cute girl I was trying to impress, I thought, you know what? I can impress her by going past her 20 miles an hour. And when I go past her, I'm going to give her a little. <laughs> Not only that, but me and a friend said we we're going to do it together because it was two girls. Oh, vanity. Oh, vanity. So I, I mean, I get up some speed. Now I got speed skates. I'm doing 20 miles an hour and I get right past her. And as soon as I get right past her, I'm like, uh-huh. And I turned my head like that and I gave her a, and she goes, <laughs> and everything was perfect for that two seconds until I turned my head back and some horrible parent was not watching their five-year-old and that kid was right there, right there in front of me. I thought, do I leap? Do I hit him? I'm going to go to jail for manslaughter. What do I do? So all I did was jump sideways, but I (laughs) I didn't have enough jumps. And I got about halfway to his chest. I hit him with my skates. I went over the guardrail. He went that way. Everything was a blur. Kaboom! About the time I looked up on my back, the girls rolling past me. (laughs) Try not to laugh. Vain glory. Vanity, oh vanity. Why did I not know I don't have to strive for these things anymore? Worse, the father was a behemoth. He came up to me. He picked the son up. He walked up to me. Oh, I'm so glad he knew Jesus. Son, are you okay? Because I'm about to kill you. He said, son, are you okay? I'm fine. Please don't kill me. He said, it's all right. He got away from me. I had no idea what he meant when he said the kid got away from me. I was like, how is that possible? (laughs) Oh, you will learn, young man, laying on your back. You will learn. God's got a funny plan for you, Mr. Five Kids, who loses a kid about every other day. You will learn well. Vain glory and striving. I am so glad I came to Jesus and came to salvation, and I shortened that season. Salvation and salvation alone will shorten it and then eliminate it, eradicate it, so we're free from any striving or glory or whatever man wants or seeks after their whole life. Everyone's skating, trying to get someone to look at them, trying to be the best and the greatest. Look at me, look at me. We are done with that. We are free in Christ, and all we want is his glory. All we want is his acceptance, which we have through Jesus. Amen? That is freedom. If you don't have that, Jesus wants to give it to you. Oh, no matter if you're in the White House or you're on the street, he wants you to be free no matter who you're dealing with and no matter what you're doing. All right, last one. Let's keep looking here. Verse 33. Let's get to this. Verse 33, this beautiful text. It's not worn. It's not old. It's not familiar. It's beautiful. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, the list he just made, will be added to you. Now remember, Solomon is in this list. The man who made silver is common as stones. Solomon's in this list. All these things are yours, but you seek first the kingdom. So what is this statement here? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is important when we look close at that scripture, his righteousness. Now, surprisingly to me, the word righteous is not a masculine noun. His is. He's God the Father. He's masculine. But the word righteous is a feminine noun in the Greek. New Testament Greek, Old Testament Hebrew. I was like, what? I'm a little confused here until I looked a little closer. 
until I realized that the word righteous means perfectly pure, acceptable, and virtuous. That there's only one that's perfectly pure, acceptable, and virtuous. That in the person and work of Jesus, the pure, acceptable, virtuous Jesus is the way I get to the kingdom. That's the way that joy fills my heart. That's the only striving I have to do is coming to the perfectly pure, acceptable Christ. Number four in your notes. His perfection enables our joy. His perfection enables our joy. He looks at the group and he says, you got to be done with the vain striving. Don't look like Rome. Don't look like the Pharisees. They're all around you. Don't worry about it. There is one perfectly pure and righteous. It is right standing before you. And that's the one you seek and your joy will be unspeakable. Amen. Let's stand up. I know it's a little chilly, but you none of you fell asleep. Huh? If I'd have left it off, we'd have sucked the oxygen out of the room, and I don't care how good you're preaching. <laughs> I've done this before. I saw y'all getting tired. I was like, I'm going to fix this. <laughs> There's an icicle hanging back there. His perfection enables your joy. You know what's so wonderful about that? The work is on him, not me. That makes me free, doesn't it? The work is on him, not me. The righteousness I go to him for. I go to him and I live in him. And that's how I'm righteous. One last scripture as we look here. 1 Corinthians. one twenty-seven. Let this just soak down into you. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things that are despised, God has chosen. They said my Savior was despised and rejected by men, Isaiah proclaimed. A man acquainted with grief and familiar with sorrow. God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things which are that no flesh should glory in his presence verse 30 but of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us everything wisdom from God righteousness and sanctification and redemption oh that sounds like a complete list doesn't it Well, let's come to Jesus for these last few minutes. Let's come to him, our Savior. Maybe you have struggled with being encouraged. When you walk outside, you see if that grass is growing and those birds are flying. And when that stops, he will stop being faithful. Maybe you're in a new season of life and you have to experience the comforter in a way you have not. Whether the job's not there, the physical ability's not there, the spouse is not there. He'll look at you, man, and he'll say, 
toil. He'll look at you, mom, and say, don't worry. I'll supply. Come on, come to him. No more vain striving. If you're striving for anything above him, let it go. Put him at number one. We strive for things, but nothing before him. whether it's encouragement, whether you've been in your life, you're just like everyone else that's sitting on that hillside and listening to the words of Christ. And you have to understand that the words of Christ were repeated. The people way in the back may not have heard someone just like me turned and said, let me tell you what he just said. So you can come to him just like that. prayer for anything, you can come up. Let's worship the King. time. Now this is our testimony. This is who you are in Christ Jesus. Every word of it is true. I looked at it, I thought about it while we were singing the first time. I said, is everything there biblically accurate? Can, does Jesus back that up? I thought, yep, everything I looked at. So this is our personal testimony. And as we leave today, I want you to say, say it one more time. You can whisper it, you can talk it out, whatever it is. I want you to proclaim who Christ said you were through him. He's getting ready to sing it. But just real quickly, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're in here and you say, I don't know Jesus, I don't know him. I'm sitting on the hillside and 
I've only heard of his name. I don't know him as Lord and Savior, but I want to. If that's you here today, you can know him right now. With the confession of your mouth and his, the faith that fills your heart, you can know him right now. Is there anyone like that? You can hear say, I don't know Jesus. Just raise your hand right now. We always try to give an invitation. Is there anyone like that? All right, now right now we're going to sing it as our testimony. This is our testimony in Christ. So you let those words fill your heart and your mind. It'll encourage you and it'll pull everything else out of you that doesn't need to be there. I am blessed. Come on, sing it. It's the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am saved. Come on, you're saved by His name, His glorious name, with absolute conviction, say it. Conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great day.